I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. The end of 2019 is drawing near. That's the end of a decade and 20 years into the century. Perhaps no other 20-year period in history has seen such tremendous change, and I think it's pretty indisputable that the Bay Area has left a cultural mark on the nation and the world. The staff of the Chronicle's Culture Desk has been pondering these changes we've seen over the last few weeks and has come up with 20 moments over the last 20 years that say something about the world we find ourselves in today. Joining me today to talk about this endeavor is senior arts editor Rob Morris and business editor Owen Thomas. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so thanks. you've spent a lot of time coming, debating and coming up with these 20 cultural moments. Um, I think a lot of readers, when they see this online and in print, are going to say these are not the 20 most important things that have happened in this decade. But that's not what you were trying to do, as you've explained to me many times, Robert. Yeah, these weren't the most newsworthy moments necessarily. Um, But as we look back the last two decades, these were some of the moments that kind of helped define and explain our area as much as anything else. You know, these were things that we talked about that were sometimes inane or stupid or silly, but they all represent a certain aspect of the, the Bay Area region and the culture that that we sometimes, I think, walk past and take for granted. I mean, I think a nice example on here is Juicero. I mean... Juicero. Is that how you say it? I don't Juicero. know. Who Juicero. remembers what... Owen remembers what Juicero was. Oh, That's it. We must always remember Juicero. <laughs> what was it? Juicero was a startup. So it was started when there was this vogue for all kinds of things. Hardware, internet-connected devices, subscription services. So the idea was, rather than go to the little juice bar around the corner, you would have a juice machine that would take prepackaged packs of essentially like kind of pulped fruits and vegetables that the machine would squeeze out for you. So you would have bespoke artisanal juice at your office counter. or That sounds completely stupid. It was so completely (laughs) stupid that uh, venture capitalists gave it more than $100 million. Of course they did. And then Bloomberg did a an investigation. And this investigation involved two reporters actually taking the packs and squeezing them by hand. And they discovered that you didn't need this fancy machine, I think it was $600 or so, uh, to, um, to get hand-squeezed juice at all. I think any mother who's ever had a kid with a juice box knows that you don't need a fancy machine to get <laughs> juice out of a pack. Well, Audrey, I think this highlights uh, the lack of diversity in the venture capital <laughs> investing need community. More mothers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but why? What? What? This we're joking about it. But why does something like that that seems so inane and ridiculous in retrospect? How? Do, why does that make a twenty twenty cultural? Why is that a cultural touchstone to you guys? I think it hits so many notes. It's the, you know, the overabundance of venture capital that has distorted the business environment of of the Bay Area. It is the the faddishness of of startups. It is, you know, for example, Keurig coffee pods came along. So suddenly every venture capitalist wanted to have a Keurig of something. Juicero was supposed to be the Keurig of juice. And, um, you know, hardware, internet of things, devices, these are all trends, and so everyone's trying to fit an idea into a trend. Also, I, I mean, sometimes I think the things we look back on, we feel that they have to have this weight of importance to them. You know, it should be like this, in, if, if the president gets impeached, that has this importance that we all need to remember. But in this age of virality, like things like Juicero sometimes mean more than we think they do. 
You know, this is something that we all talked about for weeks. We were making fun of it. We were ridiculing it. And in a way, it's a way for us to understand ourselves and ridicule ourselves about the stupid things we do as a society, as people, as consumers, as everything. And I think Juicero typifies that as much as anything else in the list. So Juicero was 2017. Yeah. But you went all the way back to 2000 for this to talk about what, what were you guys doing? I, I, I think it to me, like I think of 2000, I think oh, that wasn't that long ago. And then I remember I was I was just out of I was graduating from college in 2000. Where were you Same. guys in 2000? OK, so um, I was just uh, starting work at a newspaper in South Dakota. Oh, Sioux South Falls, Dakota. South Dakota, of all places. And I still wanted to decide if I wanted to be a journalist or a musician or a snowboarder or whatever. Or all of the above. Yeah. Oh, and what were you doing in 2000? And uh, the start of 2000, I was wrapping up a brief stint in New York and plotting my return to the Bay Area. And I joined a, uh, a new magazine started by Time Inc. called E-Company Now, which fits into the, uh, the general uh, trend of badly named things around the time of the dot-com bubble. So you were covering all of this when our first event on this list uh, happened, and that I, I think everybody will remember Pets.com. So why did you think it was important to put Pets.com as the very first cultural touchstone moment of the century? Um, well, can I jump in? Yeah. I don't think that necessarily that means it's the most, it was the first thing we thought about as, as something that signifies the start of this. But when we look at like, like Y2K, we couldn't use that because I think we all thought that preceded it. Um, but as we went into this tech age, it seemed to presage what was to come. You know, um, Pets.com was something that, again, it, it was a pop culture moment as much as it was this business moment. Like, everyone saw the commercials. Everyone loved that stupid sock puppet or hated it, maybe. You know, this is something you saw during Super Bowl ads. Um, it kind of entered into this new era of way of thinking, I think, or maybe a way of analyzing culture in a sense. And I think also it set up the business environment for the, you know, for the next probably four or five years. The, you know, this notion of just kind of like, overinvestment and spending on crazy things. You know, Pets.com had a Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon. They had a oh Super God. Bowl ad. And we're only starting to see those things creep back in now. Um, you know, you see uh, .com advertisers returning to the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. which gives me palpitations because I'm... I'm <laughs> you remember the .com bust yeah, and that, I think, that, that followed the Pets.com fallout. Yeah, and, you know, when they're, you know... You know, it's it's not a bubble if there's not a bursting, right? And you know that's why when people debate, are we in a bubble now? Um, I think we have to remember what came after the bubble, and it was tumbleweeds in Soma. You know, all of these places had, um, you know, had closed up shop, and people always thought, well, if this startup fails, there will be another job. And you know, they would bounce from startup to startup, and they had pink slip parties, kind of celebrating the fact that they'd been laid off, and then suddenly one day. There just wasn't that next job. Mm -hmm. People left town. I mean, the population of the Bay Area declined. Employment, uh, you know, unemployment hit uh, double digits in the South Bay. It was, you know, it was a dark time. You're listening to my conversation with senior editor Rob Morris and business editor Owen Thomas. We'll be back after this break. We're back with senior arts editor Robert Morris and business editor Owen Thomas talking about the Culture Desk's 2020 project. In this list, I'm very happy, Robert, that you included, I think I insisted on this, but the the capture of John Walker Lynn, the American terrorist, because I think the thing about the first part of the century that is um, in, is indelible is, is not only the technological changes, but also the political changes that we've gone through. And to me, John Walker Lynn really represented this beginning of um, – 
a, a division of what people saw as like weird Bay Area values versus the rest of America. So so what? how did I convince you to put that on the list? Uh, I think when you basically said something that he's along the lines of he's the reason why people hate California. I mean, he was being, you know, frank and blunt and fun about it. But uh, I think there's some truth to it. I mean, as someone who grew up in, in the Plain States, it's like I think California's always seen as this place where it could, you could be eccentric. And I think after this trial, it was viewed as a, as a an example of political division, yeah. as you say. You know, he, he became to represent all the ideals that some of America hated. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, con- and continuing the, 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 the trend, there are a lot of um, moments in civil rights that make this list, too. The most notable is probably the um, beginning of gay marriages in San Francisco City Hall. And Owen, you, you when we were walking in here, you were like, I, I was there, but you weren't covering it. You were actually getting married. Yes, my, uh, my husband and I got married. Um, it was actually the first of three marriages to the same fellow as we uh, tried to uh, wend our way through, you know, all of the legal twists and turns that same-sex marriage took over the over the past couple decades. But I, I, I can't forget the the day. It was a it was a rainy day, and uh, my husband actually popped up in my office. He worked across the street, and he was like, "We've got to go now." He'd been hearing that there would be some kind of legal challenge, and they might stop them. And it was it was now or never. We got in a taxi cab that seemed to take forever to get to City Hall. And we lined up and, you know, the line to get married was just all the way around that uh, that big courtyard. Um, and friends found us in line and brought us flowers and, you know, joined us to hang out as we waited. Uh, it was just, you know, it was, it was an amazing celebratory moment. And I also remember feeling so right in my decision to move to San Francisco, um, you know, a, a, um, two decades and change ago that this was a special place that was going to experiment and try things that other people weren't ready to do. I mean, we had spent most of the past decade kind of debating what was the legal path to getting, you know, same-sex marriage. There were efforts in Hawaii. There were efforts in California. And, you know, Gavin Newsom, when he was mayor, was just like, I can do this, you know, and he tried. It was eventually, you know, it was eventually overturned and our, uh, our wedding license actually sat in a file cabinet in Sacramento and was returned to us after uh, after about a year. Um, but you know, uh, we know we know where history led with this, and it really was a galvanizing moment that led to the legalization. Yeah, of Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think you know people might forget now because it seems uh, it seems so commonplace that that you see. Um, Men married to men and 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 families mixed families in San Francisco. It's just it's um it seems so normal to us now. But but back then I think there was a debate even in San Francisco not about the righteousness necessarily of the marriages, but whether politically it was a very smart thing for for Newsom to do and whether it was going too fast. And and that seemed to really suck a lot of the error out of um out of city politics for a long time about whether this was a, a smart challenge and whether it was not the right Supreme Court, whether it should be challenged and, and how this was going to play out. And it, it just seems amazing that um, that happened all within like a one decade span. That just seems really amazing to me in retrospect. One thing we also thought was interesting about that moment was that it's something that didn't originate in the Bay Area. And I think Massachusetts was the first state to, to legalize same-sex marriage. But it, it almost showed the way that the Bay Area can improve something. They can, it can make it a moment. It can make it a, a movement, so to speak. That's why we thought it was so important and valuable 
Mm-hmm. And, and we forget, too, Gavin Newsom was a bit of a Democratic pariah for a while. Obama wouldn't have his photo taken with him. Hillary Clinton wouldn't have his picture taken with him. And now he's governor of California. So that that leads me to a, there are a lot of other civil rights um, uh, issues in here, including chan- transgender rights and the issue of gender fluidity. But then there's one uh, that makes the list that's kind of obvious to anything. I, I, everyone, I don't think they'll agree. And that is the iPhone going on sale in 2007. So this is one of the most contentious debates in, in our process of really? winnowing down. Yeah, I mean, we that's all, crazy because it is definitely one of the most important things. Of course, smartphone. we knew that had to be on there. We knew that like Apple, like transcending these technological like advancements, had to be on there. But there was debate on whether it should be the iPhone or whether it should be the launch of iTunes, which you could argue like define the the oncoming podcast generation. You know, or should it be the iPod, the iPad, all those things. Um, but we kind of really settled in on on the iPhone because it was this weird synthesis of all these things that we kind of had in different pockets. Suddenly you could all put it in one pocket, carry all your things together, and Owen wrote a wonderful piece on it. I'm sure you have more thoughts on on the impact of the iPhone. Yeah, I, I was actually there at the event where Steve Jobs uh, revealed the iPhone uh, for this first time. I believe it was in the then-new uh, Moscone West uh, Convention Center. And... Um, you know, I, I, I remember uh, running out with my, you know, now archaic-seeming flip phone and calling uh, calling a colleague in New York to get a story uh, about it posted as soon as possible. Um, you know, but w- what it really was, it, it was building on the strength of the iPod. I mean, you know, you could arguably say October 2001, the introduction mm-hmm. of the iPod, was the beginning of Apple's big turnaround. Um, and, you know, it's n- now a near-trillion-dollar company and one of the hugest employers in the Bay Area. Um, but I think you were, you have this wise moment in that, that vignette where you talk about it. It wasn't just the iPhone, but it was the soon app availability of Facebook for the iPhone. And it merged yeah. it merged the technology that we loved with the, the social media landscape that we become addicted to. I think coming out of that doc, uh, coming out of that dot-com bubble that we just talked about, people were looking for what's a new opportunity? And the iPhone was really mobile in a nutshell. This was this was the thing people were waiting for that was going to electrify the idea of creating a mobile app startup. And yes, you add social onto that, and that's a whole nother field. There, there were companies like uh, Zynga, which is still around, and Slide, uh, which is not, but you know, back then it was, uh, it was a really big deal. Um, and just all these opportunities, and Silicon Valley's always on the hunt for that next thing, that next, you know, kind of Green, you know, greenfield where they can unlock build. a lot of new companies and yeah. new opportunities, and, and the app store essentially allows that on the iPhone. Yes, absolutely. And Facebook kind of had its equivalent with the Facebook platform, where you could build, you know, an app, whether it's sheep throwing or a game or communication. Um, you know, that's led us into a, you know, that's led us into a lot of trouble. These, you know, the app store, um, Facebook's, you know, tools for developers have brought us you know, distracted teens and, you know, and depression and social media addiction Mm -hmm. and Cambridge Analytica. So there's been a lot of bad with the good. 
but there have been, you know, there have been a lot of jobs and livelihoods created through these revolutions. Absolutely. I, I lived near South Park when this when the iPhone was was released. And I remember being at the cafe, which all these techies went to. And next to me, there were two guys discussing their new company, Instagram, and how it was going to sell for a billion dollars. And I remember thinking that sounds like the stupidest idea. <laughs> Photos on your phone from your friends. This will never work. So that shows why I'm in journalism and not a venture capitalist. But it did mm. unlock all this potential that uh, a huge part of the Bay Area could see at that time. Maybe maybe not all of us. All right. The last thing, there are a lot of events on here and people are going to um, be able to call in to us or email and suggest their own ideas. And I want to talk about that. But first, Robert, I need you to explain why in August 2013, you decided to put in the rise of the $4 toast. How is $4 avocado toast anywhere close to one of the cultural touchstones of the last 20 years? Okay, so earlier you asked us what we were doing in the year 2000, but I think we might all remember where we were when we read about $4 toast. I mean, this was kind of like a bomb that went off in the world, at least in America, you know? It's like like we're all, again, like in this viral captureness that's not even a word, but you know what I'm getting at, viral captivity maybe, of trying to find things to read about and guffaw about. And this is one of those things that everybody in America read about the toast and was like, oh, my God, San Francisco's lost its mind. You know, it's the epitome of excess. Oh, my God, everything's artisanal, everything's bespoke, blah, blah, blah. But now it looks kind of like a deal. <laughs> you know, and, and the price avocados are expensive, man. Yeah. Four dollars is a bargain. And it, it presaged this whole like millennial obsession with avocado toast as well. You know, like like this isn't just this moment of excess. In some ways, I think you can look at it as a prophecy. And you know, the the idea that people are paying for experiences. So like, what are you getting for that four dollar toast? It's cinnamon, butter, and sugar, but also just like sitting at the mill and like being with all the other you know all the other folks around you and having that shared experience. Uh, you know, I, I also think that the way that millennials are blamed for everything um, and, you know, accused of like wasting their money on $4 toast instead of, I don't know. Saving buy- for houses. Wasn't yeah. that some yeah, politician exactly. said that's what their problem is? And, you know, the, like the the number of avocado toasts you would have to to skip to get a down payment in the Bay Area is more than you could consume in a lifetime. <laughs> Even if you really like toast. Yeah. But I think, you know, the I, I questioned originally the absurdity of putting this in here, as you know, Robert. And I think what made me come around to it is when you look back on the last 20 years, clearly the Bay Area's um, experimentation and creativity and tech culture and the the what I call the self-fulfilling prophecy of the gold rush, people wanting to come here and experiment, it brings all these great things like the iPhone and civil rights, but it also brings these moments where I think we live in such a bubble, maybe economically, but also culturally, that we can't even see the absurdity in $4 toast. And I think that was one moment that surprised a lot of San Franciscans who had been paying $4 for toast, that when everybody else, when, when it gets on Fox News and you and you become a butt of a joke, it was a little bit of a wake-up point um, for some people as to whether this is really the world we want to be creating in San Francisco. 
and the idea that this is what's representing your lifestyle and, and your entire being, you know. I was right. living on the East Coast at the time, and even there it was like, this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, Juicero is the $4 toast of startups, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. We have we have consistency, if nothing else. All right, so Robert, we have 20 items in here. Uh, it's all going to be published on December 8th in print. We're going to have it online before that. If people want to write in, if we've missed something out of all of the debates that we've had over this, how do you, how, what are you going to do with the reader re- reaction to it? I think it depends what we get, obviously. You know, if we have only two people saying, that was stupid, you should add this, then I'm like, hey, well, I guess we succeeded. But we know that's not going to happen. No, no. they're going to have more ideas. So, I, I mean, again, we're going to revisit and see what happens. I think that there's room and possibility for like, you know, well, the readers think we missed this and this, and let's show you what, what they think, we think they got right and we got wrong or missed necessarily. Um, and yeah, we'll be able to, or they'll be able to email me and just kind of tell me how awesome or terrible or whatever. Right. What do you think we missed? Uh, we will also have it on our website. You can go to our website and, and write in to us and uh, let us know what cultural events you think were noteworthy in the last 20 years. Robert and Owen, thank you so much for joining me today. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you to senior arts editor Rob Morris and business editor Owen Thomas for being with me today. Thank you to Karen Creighton for producing this episode and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.